she killed it. And uh, somebody in the, in the lobby was like, uh, I heard you have a good word today. And, and I didn't tell him. I'm like, we'll see. We'll see. And then, and then Melissa preached. And uh, as, I, as I walked out, he caught eyes with me. And he was like, you tricked me, dude. You tricked me. He goes, but that, that was the Holy Spirit got my heart. And so we're, we're a responsive church. We're a loud church. Heaven's going to be loud. If you don't like loud, you're not going to like heaven. And so heaven, heaven is going to be responsive. I would ask you to be responsive today. Open up your heart to every one of these five and five preachers and let God do something in your heart. Come on, let's go. Good morning, everybody. My name is Will West, um, and I'm speaking on fights slash battles today. Let me be very honest with y'all. This is a very busy week of work for me. So I actually chose this topic because I already had a 30-minute sermon that I'd written about fights and battles. And um, I, used to, I used to be a homeless drug addict and alcoholic here in town. And I was on the streets for years. And God saved me, and he changed my life. And so now people will have me... Thank you. People will have me come out now and speak to like their, their youth group, the recovery group, things like that, um, uh, nonprofit functions and stuff like that. And so I thought I'd just take the best five minutes of that. 30 minutes, boom, we got Sunday, I'm ready to go. And then this week I was praying about it and the Lord said this. He said to me, don't you warm up leftovers for my church. I got something fresh for them. So he told me to tell you about Rocky Three. Because by the time we get to the third installment in the Rocky series, Rocky's gone from being a broke kid from the streets of Philadelphia, living in a trashy apartment, training day and night to becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. And now he's living in a mansion. And he's got a chauffeur. And he spends half his days not training, but he's doing magazine interviews and commercial shoots. And then right before his fight, he's supposed to fight a guy named Clubber Lang. And Clubber Lang was played by Mr. T. Thank you very much. So right before his fight with Clubber Lang, his longtime trainer, Mickey, quits on him, right? And so Rocky goes and confronts Mickey, and he's like, Mickey, why'd you quit on me? Why are you walking out? And Mickey says to him, you can't beat him, kid. And what he specifically says to him is this. He says, you had the worst thing happen to you that could ever happen to a fighter. You got civilized. And I think what the Spirit of the Lord would have us do today is take a look at our lives, because I think there are a lot of us, not everybody, but a lot of us that have gotten civilized. Back in the day when I used to get attacked, and when we used to get attacked, it would be before we were important, right? Before the social media followers, before we could tell people, no, I can't take that meeting, I'm too important these days. Whenever I would get attacked, I would walk on the floor, up and down the floors praying all night long until I got the breakthrough. I, I would fast, I would pray, I would take communion, I would do all of these things that we know this is how we fight our battles. We sing that song, right? Now though, I'm gonna be honest with y'all, back in the day whenever I had a financial issue, what I would do is the same thing. I'd look at it and say, okay, I can't afford to pay this bill. So I would look at what I had and I'd say, I'm gonna put a seed together. And I'd come to church, I'd sow that seed, I'd go home after church, and I'd pray in the Holy Ghost until I got the breakthrough. I wasn't going to stop. Just this year, though, I'm talking about like February and March, I had the same thing happen, and instead of doing what I used to do before I got the car and the house and I could afford the Jordans and things like that, instead I sold Bitcoin and stock and just paid the bill, and now I'm out the asset. Because that's what happens to you when you get civilized. You go from sowing to selling. 
Jesus says this in, March, in Matthew 16. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I don't know a lot about fencing. That's not what I do for a living. But I can tell you this. Gates are defensive, not offensive. But that's what happens when we get civilized, right? We, go for, we, we only get in the spiritual fight when we're under attack. But the posture of the kingdom is offensive. It's about taking more and more and more for the kingdom of God. He goes on to say this. He goes on to say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let me ask you very honestly, when was the last time you bound or loosed anything? Because it'd been a minute for me. I'll be real. God did not give us the car, the job, the house, the Jordans, so we could ride around with air-conditioned seats looking good on the gram, right? He did it so we could take more and more and more for the kingdom of God. Look, COVID was hard, right? COVID was real hard. It was a fight, but it was a different type of fight. It was a fight of endurance. And I think a lot of us during COVID, we got docile. And we got civilized. And I think what the Lord would have us say today is this. And look, I get it. Like, you don't want to come to church and you're hearing some dude talk about, like, what you're doing is not good enough. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not telling you what you're doing is not good enough. What I am saying is this. God has more for us if we can get our fight back. And if we can become uncivilized again, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Hello. Hey, y'all. <laughs> hey, hey, my name is Caitlin Waters, and I am so grateful for the opportunity to speak on fear today. Fear is simply the emotion we feel when we don't know what to expect. Sometimes we fear things we can't see. Sometimes it's things we can't hear, and sometimes it's even things we can't control. Now, it's a pretty common emotion, and I'm pretty sure everyone in here has come face-to-face with a situation riddled by fear. So how do we combat this fear as believers. Now, I want to tell you a story about a king named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah, and we see this story played out in 2 Chronicles 20. Now, I just want to make a quick disclaimer. Jehoshaphat was not a perfect Christian. I know, shocker. He sinned just like the rest of us, guys. But what he does in these next few verses is truly inspiring, and I pray that if you're struggling with fear right now, that this just touches your heart and brings you peace. I know it did for me. Listen to it, starting in verse one. After this, the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Minunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Now some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Adam, from beyond the scene, and behold, they're in Hazan Tamer. And then Jehoshaphat was afraid. So he set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Now later in verse 15, we see that the people of Judah are worshiping God and praying for a miracle. And within the crowd, a Levite who was filled with the Holy Spirit stood up and said, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the battle for uh, this great army, for this battle is not yours, but the Lord's. How cool is it that we get to worship a God who wants to take our battles from us? So the next morning we see Jehoshaphat. Now he appoints certain people to sing to the Lord and give him praise, right? 
but they went before the army, because that's crazy. And so they said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So they're literally walking into this unknown and seemingly impossible battle, trusting the Lord so much, they put musicians before their greatest warriors. They weren't covered head to toe in battle armor, but rather covered head to toe in the armor of God. And I don't know if you guys can do math, but it's three against one, and the odds are definitely not in their favor. But they still purposely decided to put songs in front of swords. Now, how many of us are using swords rather than songs in our lives? Fighting battles with our own strength. Trying to fix, control the feeling of fear? I know I have. And there have been numerous times in my life where I tried fixing my own battles, picking up and swinging a powerless sword only to make matters worse. Similar to Jehoshaphat, I faced a situation where the odds were against me three to one. You see, I've been close to death three times in my life and for things that I couldn't see, hear, or control. And one of those things was when I was diagnosed with idiopathic adolescent scoliosis at the age of 13. My once perfectly healthy body seemed to disappear overnight. I tried to control my battle. My sword was not letting anyone in. I faced a lot of fear alone. I felt like no one understood. I felt like no one cared. I felt like my burdens were almost too heavy for my family, my friends, and even to God. I remember my father and I were in the hospital room um, after my back surgery, and we began worshiping together, and I felt the tender tug of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And I realized I had grown up in church my entire life. I sat in these types of seats at a different church at the time, but I grew up in church my entire life, but I didn't actually have a relationship with the Father. I didn't know him. Until I was laying there helpless, and I just realized everything was literally out of my control. And in that moment, I heard the Lord tell me, I have a purpose for your life. You are my daughter. So I came to Christ that night in the hospital room, worshiping an adoration of the one you can only truly save. And that was the first time I decided to drop my sword and pick up worship as my warfare. We, yes, yes, pick up that worship, y'all. We are not caught by on our own strength, but rather depend on the Lord's. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you're in a battle, I'm telling you, as I worshiped, as the people of Judah worshiped, we began to see God fighting our battles. He was faithful through my battle. He was faithful through theirs. And he'll be faithful through yours. In verse 22, we see the Lord. He had turned the three armies against each other and no one survived. So when Jehoshaphat and the people showed up to this battle, they were already victors because God won the victory. They didn't have to lift a finger. And so fear tells us that we have to fight on our own. Fear tells us we have to be scared. Fear tells us we have to go run and hide. But the Lord tells us to have faith. The Lord tells us to be obedient. The Lord has asked us to worship him. Now, I'm not sure what battle you're facing today. Maybe you're on the peak of a mountain or the lowest of a valley or somewhere in between. But no matter what your situation is, you do not have to be fearful of the outcome because the Lord already won the battle. It won't always look how we want. It might look different, but it'll always be more than enough because he went to the cross and he defeated death, and he defeated sin, so that we can have life with him, and then through his resurrection power that's available freely to us. If you feel that tug in your heart today, or if you felt it before, he wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord, my arms are open. I will worship you all the days of my life. So back to my initial question. 
How do we, as believers, combat the feeling of fear? We worship. Good morning. Uh, my name is Nick Thompson. I want to talk to you this morning about zeal or passion for God. Um, we've been doing a Bible study on Wednesday nights with the men, and we're working through the Bible, learning about the men of the Bible and what we can learn and take from that. It's been really good. We came across this story of Phineas in Numbers chapter 25 that really left an impression on me uh, for context. Moses is leading Israel through the wilderness. Um, they're waiting to go into the promised land. And they've just defeated two kings in battle. And now they're camped really close to Moab. And the king of Moab is getting nervous, sensing that they're going to go into battle and lose. So he devises a plan to entice Israel into sin. And it works. So Israel begins to engage in sexual immorality with the Moabites. And that leads to idolatry and worship of other gods. And a plague breaks out. And that's where our story picks up in, in 25 verses 6. It says, And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren, brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust, thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. So this passage really speaks for itself. Um, you have the children of Israel, you have this, this society that's, being torn by this culture of sin that's been introduced. And you have those that are engaging in it, and you have those that are seeking God. They know it's wrong, and they're at the, the tent of meeting where God's presence is, and they're, they're crying out to God. And you have Phineas, who is among them. And because his heart is, is in tune with God's heart, and he wants what God wants, he has God's passion and his zeal, it gives him the boldness to take a stand for righteousness. And he goes and he kills the, the man and the woman, and the plague stops, and God honors that. So obviously we can't go around slaying the wicked. That's not what we're called to do. So what are we called to do? Um, in 1 Peter three thirteen through 16, it says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone asks for your reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So that's what we're called to do, to be zealous for what is good, to be zealous for God, and to be prepared to make a stand for righteousness and for Christ with gentleness and respect. So may we be a church and a, a body that is still zealous for God, and may we be a church that has the boldness and conviction to take a stand for righteousness when the opportunity presents itself. Hi guys, my name is Natalie Delatore. Some of you may know me or have seen me around church. I'm not one really to mingle or linger in the lobby. 
more of a get to church, get my word, get out type of person those days. But when I was asked to speak today, I felt it was God's push to put myself out there more in hopes that my story helps someone. Today, I'm going to touch on hope and strength. I'll start by a brief backstory of myself. Um, my husband and I have been dating since I was 16 years old. We just celebrated our ninth year of marriage and our 15 years in total this month. Going back to when we were 20 and 21 in college dating, we found out that we were pregnant. We were mortified to say the least. Uh, we didn't know what to do or how our families were gonna react. Um, but we decided we were going to go through with it. We knew it would not be easy. We chose to have her anyways. Fast forward to me being nine months pregnant, and something was wrong. Uh, we showed up to the hospital to find out our little girl was no longer with us. Um, I was being prepped to deliver a full-term stillborn baby. I was 20 years old, and I had lost our firstborn child. If you would have met me 12 years ago in September... I would be the last person to be speaking on hope and strength. My friend that I have had since I was in second grade was there by my side as well as our families. She would come over to my home every day and plaster a new Bible verse on the wall of my room and hang out with me. I would get super agitated with her and I would not get out of bed. I had just lost my whole life, something that I had prepared for and got excited for. A small piece of me had died. But she showed up every day religiously and would show me that there was still hope. Finally, one day, I read a verse that she had put up, and it stood out to me. It was 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Fast forward again a few more years, and we are now married with two healthy, amazing kids, and my husband decides. It's time to move away from where we were born and raised, where both our families are. I was hesitant, so we prayed and prayed, and God led us here to Tennessee. Uh, I really struggled when we first got here. Raising kids takes a village, and my family was my strength, my village. I had to turn, or I had to learn to only rely on my husband. As we knew, no one, and I trusted no one with our small children. We had never even visited Knoxville prior to moving here. I was again losing hope, not only in myself, but in my husband. I ended up at Home Goods for some much-needed retail therapy um, to try to make our new place a bit more homey. And when I, came, when I was there, I came upon a coffee mug. Um, I have a small obsession with coffee mugs. If you come to my house, they're all over. Um, with the same verse on there, and it said 1 Corinthians 13, 7. I was again reminded of hope and strength. Fast forward a couple more years, and I think life is good. I started to find my strength. My oldest had started school, and life had just started to get fall back into place. But my marriage was to a point where we both wanted to give up. We both had lost hope. I was broken in so many ways. We had just started to befriend a couple my husband had met at his job, and they were coming to this very church and had invited us. I would say this is about four years ago now. We confided in them about our marriage, and I was asking about marriage counselors. Through it all, I had hope God had a plan with all we had already survived. In this time period of our lives, my husband 100% was against marriage counseling. We had gone through so much already in our relationship. We had lost a child, moved away from family, lived in an area that I just didn't care for too much at the time. We had learned to grow up together as young parents, yet somehow I still got him to agree to go to marriage counseling with me. The day that we went for our first appointment, I sat alone in a lobby waiting for my husband to show up so I wouldn't walk in alone. As I waited there silently, I prayed to myself. I felt in my heart to change my screensaver to a bubble burst. And I sat there thinking, which one? 
Finally, I Google searched some verses, and there was that verse again, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Would you all mind putting that up on the screen for me, if you have it, please? Maybe? 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I look at this verse, guys. It's God's promise to us. He loves us so much. He bared all my pain. He believed in me when I thought I was alone in God and I was at my lowest. Gave me hope and strength to continue on. I come to you all today after going through so much. I still to this day would not consider myself a super strong person. But I know love never fails because God loves me. He loves all of us. He is forever our hope and our strength. How you guys doing? Awesome, awesome. My name is Promise. I'm a Connect Group leader in Transformation Youth, and I'm going to speak to you guys about identity. So when I think about identity, a few things come to mind. Uh, for some people, you can think about sports, like some people are fanatics, like I'm a Liverpool FC fan, for those of you that know soccer. Um, and then other people, they identify a lot with their diet. Like, you know, some weird people might be vegans. That's great for them. It's not, it's not my thing, but, you know, uh, to each his own, right? Um, and it goes even further to, to uh, gender, sex, culture, and race. And in all of these things, um, there's a strong sense of pride about them or even a lack of it. So I guess back to me, when I think about my identity, I always ask myself this one question. And that question is, what gives me self-esteem? In other words, what gives me confidence in my worth as an individual? I think that's a really good question, and I would encourage you all to reflect on that for yourselves. So back in high school, I played soccer, and I was, I was kind of good at it. I played for one of the MLS academies in Los Angeles, and I was one of the best players in my high school. In addition to that, I was also a really good student. So that, that combination of being, you know, a good soccer player and a good, a good student, you know, I was one of, I was a cool kid in school. I was a good student athlete, and high school was cool because of that. And I, I took a lot of pride in that. Like, a lot of my identity was, was centered around that. So, you know, like, let's say if, some, if one thing isn't going well, like, I don't do as good on an exam, I can always rest back on my laurels on, oh, I'm still, I'm still killing on the field, or vice versa to find that sense of identity, that sense of self-esteem, that sense of pride. So fast forward a bit, um, you know, finished high school, and I get the wonderful privilege, opportunity to play Division I soccer at one of the top universities in the world, academically. Um, so I guess, and academics are really good. We're not like Indiana, Wake Forest, Notre Dame. We're not that good at soccer, but you know, it's D1. And that's always what I wanted, you know, D1 or D9. Was the, was the motto in high school. So, so I, I made it there. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I killed it in the classroom. I was killing it on the field in high school. You know, I'm going to get here, and I'm just going to kill it, you know. I'm going to just do what I always did, right? No, that, that did not happen. Um, my freshman year in college did a real number on me. In terms of soccer, our team captain played my position. I didn't know coming in. And so I, I didn't play much. Um, and then in terms of school, school was hard. I remember after the first round of midterms, 
just running back to my room. I call my brother and I'm just crying. Can't get any words out. After failing physics, after failing chemistry, it was hard. It, it was a huge shock. In just one year, I went from being a 4-5 student to a 2-8 student. Like, what the heck is going on? I went from being a, a starter on one of the nationally ranked club teams to a bench warmer. And, and the most frustrating thing is that I was working my butt off throughout all of it. You know, I was, I was doing everything that I could to, to, you know, to be the best I could be. My identity got so wrapped up in these things I was good at, and when I stopped being good at them, at them, things just didn't feel good. So the summer after my freshman year, um, I'm still on campus, and I'm meeting. I'm getting lunch with this campus minister, and I'm telling him about how my year went. And he told me this one thing. He told me that I can't identify in, in, thing, in other things, but I need to identify in Christ. Now, for a lot of Christians, that might be a basic idea, you know. But for me, that was profound. I was 19, and no one really, really explained that to me, that idea to me, this life-changing idea that I shouldn't keep score like people in the world do, but that I should rest and take joy in what Christ has already done and is doing for me. It's about being secure in who Christ made me to be and knowing that my identity is for the sake of making known his identity. So if I'm having a bad day or I'm not performing well at work, like, yeah, those, those problems need to be taken care of. But I'm not going to wallow and feel bad about myself because of them. I'm going to remember what John said in 1 John 3, 2, that even though it doesn't already seem like it, I'm a son of God. I'm going to remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. That God made Christ who knew no sin to become sin for me so that I can be the righteousness of God in him. Despite all my imperfections, I'm the righteousness of God. That's amazing. And as Christ becomes the bedrock of my identity and permeates into every facet of my life, it's going to be impossible for me to not make him known wherever I go. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have these other tangential identities. I'm always going to be a Liverpool FC fan, an engineer, a handsome black Nigerian-American man. Like, all that is wonderful. And that's always going to be me. But I I'm saying that my identity in Christ is the foundation. My identity in Christ supersedes all of that. So, so to finish the story, by God's grace, I figured out how to, you know, balance soccer and school. I got my grades up and thing, things got better. I never became that all-conference player like I dreamed, but playing those four years, I really thank God for those opportunities. It was amazing, and I learned so much. Thank you. Hey, would you give it up? Give them a better hand than that. Come on. I don't know why my mic's not working. There we go. Oh, now it's on fire. <laughs> What a day. Come on, every single word, just God is just building together all the way to the end. What an identity. And, and if anybody knows, uh, uh, Promise is single, and, uh, and, and we're taking applications because his identity is in Jesus. Uh, <laughs> come on, ladies, listen. Listen, you want to find somebody who has an identity in Jesus. And I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you real quick, and then we're going to move into water baptism. And, and this is just a, such a special time. I mean, every single word talking about battle and, and, and not getting civilized and not sitting back when it comes to the things of God and then, and then, and then getting uh, fear out of your life. Come on, we can battle fear and we can be successful through worshiping and, and then having this zeal and passion for God. 
One, one of the translations that we were talking about when, when we were uh, preparing was that the word zeal and, and jealousy are the same that you would be jealous for the things of God, that God is a jealous God and there's an okay jealousy, passion about the right things of God. And then, and then hearing the word about hope and strength, I mean, these things just build together that we can have hope and strength because Christ is our identity. Come on, if we put our hope and strength in any other identity, yes, we have identities, but the identity that supersedes all of them, I love that promise, is our identity that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And today, maybe you're here and, and you don't feel like you have an identity. Maybe you feel your identity's been shaken or maybe you feel like you've, you've never, never known a relationship with the Father. We heard Caitlin talk about being in church her whole life and never giving her heart in relationship to a good, loving Father. Maybe you've been going through the motions with Christianity. Maybe you're in a battle. Maybe today's your day for a fresh start. Every week we give people an opportunity to make a fresh start with God. We're going to celebrate people that have made a fresh start here in a second and, and decided to go public. The shirt says, to make Jesus known. I love that you said my identity is to make his identity known. That's what water baptism is all about. That's what's saying, yes, God, I want you in my life. I want to be in your family, God, making him known above everything else. And so today, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward or stand you up, but I'm going to ask you in a second to bow your heads and close your eyes, and maybe today's your day to say, you know what, God, I need an identity in you. I need a fresh start with you. I need to surrender my life to you. It's just as simple as that. You can't clean your life up. You can't be perfect enough. You can't fix yourself. Only he can do that. And it's just surrender. It's just saying, you know what, God, you brought me here to surrender today. Maybe that's you. And then, and then after we do that, I'm going to pray for you, and maybe you want to take a step of water baptism. Maybe some of you are here and you've never got water baptized before. Every time we do water baptism, we make it available to everybody. I know there's a group of family members over here with some cool shirts on, and they're going to take that step of faith and get water baptized. But we also have that available for you as well. And tonight we have encounter night. We're going to have this tank up and available as well tonight. Maybe today's your day to take a step of obedience to get water baptized. That just means you're going public letting everybody know that your identity is in Jesus and not all the other things that the world says you are. Come on, it's a very public faith. I want to pray with you. And then listen, if you do want to decide in this next moment of prayer that you want to take a step of water baptism, we have some people at the back at our exit doors. She's got a sign back there. We've got shorts for you. We've got flip-flops for you. We've got hair dryers for you. We've got clothes. We got every, we've taken away every excuse. Maybe some of you are going, you know what? My family's not here to see me. It's not about your family. It's about Jesus. And your family of God is here to see you. If you're online and you need to make a fresh start today, I'm going to pray with you as well. You can just type in the chat, I need a fresh start. Come on, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in this place today. Thank you for every speaker and every word, God, every verse, anyone that needs to hear specifically what they need to hear. Holy Spirit, just uh, perfectly aim those words at our hearts today. Continue to make change in our life and do what you do. If you're in this place and no one looking around, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but if you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I need a fresh start. Would you pray with me? I need to really make my identity in Christ. Today's the day I'm ready to surrender. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you would give your life to Jesus, not fix yourself, but if you just surrender to Jesus, you get a fresh start in God. No one looking around, but would you just put your hand up to me if you'd say, man, I need a fresh start today. Would you pray for me and include me in a prayer, Pastor? I need a fresh start. Anybody at all, just slip your hand up to me right now. Let me pray for you. If you're online, just let us know online. Hey, I need a fresh start. I need a fresh start in God. Father, you know every hand, you know every heart today. 
Lord, you know everybody listening or watching online. God, we pray right now and we believe right now that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Jesus, we thank you for coming to this planet and going to that cross and dying for our sins. We thank you that you're the one that took the the punishment and the shame that you took all of our failures and mistakes and all the guilt and shame and pain and you nailed it to a tree and then you rose from the dead. We surrender today. We surrender our hearts, our lives, our minds, our souls to you. You are our Savior, our leader, and our Lord in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, amen. Amen, amen. Let's give God praise.